Right, so let's look at our next model, model four, and we are looking at practice management. This is one we want to look at about the factors that the auditor or the things that the auditor may consider and must do before the signing or the issuing of the uh, engagement letter and also the signing of the engagement contract. So if we want to look at what we need to do, I spoke about a couple of them, advertising, tendering, and other factors to consider. This is what we want to do here. Before the engagement service, before we audit, before we get an opportunity to audit the firm, what are the things that we are going to look out for? So remember we spoke about advertisement in our introduction and now we want to look at it in details. Now when it comes to the audit profession, uh, as an audit firm, we don't just get up and put in something as we are advertising about us. Yes, we have to advertise about our services so that people will know about our service. But there are five guidelines that we must look at, take into consideration anytime we are putting in an advert. The first one is called backup. Backup. This means that every evidence in our advertisement must be backup or have supporting information. For instance, if we say we are a world-class audit firm, then we must prove that by means of saying the reason why we are a world-class audit firm, such as we have audited the financial statement of Coca-Cola or Microsoft, etc. So that is the first principle. You can't just say that we are a world-class audit firm. No, you can't say that. You can only be a world-class audit firm if you have audited firms like Microsoft, firms like Facebook, firms like Coca-Cola, firms like Walmart. That, then you can say you are a world-class company, right? That is the first guiding principle. Every evidence, any statement or clauses that we are making in our advertisement must be supported or backed up with an evidence or a proof of what we are doing. The second one is criticize. Criticize. So we have backup for B, criticize for C. Now, criticize simply means that we must advertise our firms, we must not advertise our firms at the expense of other firms. In other words, you, when you are advertising your firm, you must make sure that your advertisement is not offensive to uh, mean, quote-unquote, that other firms are not worth it. For instance, if you write the word professional, in your advertisement that we are professionals, and you write it in capital letters like this, what you're actually saying is that the other audit firms are, quote-unquote, unprofessional. So what we are saying here is that you have to be careful in auditing or in our advertisement that one, any statement we make must have a backup, two, that our advertisement is not a criticism to other others or of other audit firms. The first one is definitely clear. Now definitely our advertisement must be clear. In other words, there shouldn't be any vague information or vague statements in our advertisement. For instance, if we say that we are going to charge or we will charge our clients at a competitive rate, it makes no meaning. So we must include in our, audit, in our advertisement and explain what it means charging a competitive rate. 
So this is what definite clear, definitely clear means. So the advertisements must be clear. The statement should not be big because if you tell somebody that, oh, our prices are, or we charge competitors at a competitive rate, what the hell is competitive rate? That's what somebody will ask you. What is competitive rate? So you must tell us what competitive rate means in the financial statement. Sorry, in the audit. Sorry, in the advertising, I don't know why the financial statement and audits, don't worry, that is the word we are doing now. The next thing is ensure to comply with law. Very important. You know, recently, a lot of advertisements are being observed and analyzed by Food and Drug Authority and other authorities in the country because a lot of the advertisements for, for instance, uh, alcoholic beverages were outrageous so now it has to be kept and i think there is a prince uh, there is a rule that has been passed that no alcoholic uh, beverage adverts can be played uh during the day but must be played after 8 p.m in the evening something like that but what we are talking here about as auditors when we are advertising we must make sure that any statements we are making in an advertisement complies with the law for instance if we make an example if we we must be careful of the statement we make concerning how we can help an organization to reduce the tax payable however ensuring that the company is not invading tax so for instance if you mention in your advertisement that oh we are a tax consultancy firm and we can help you to reduce that tax you have to pay you have to make sure because there is what we call tax evasion and there is what we call tax avoidance if you evade tax, you are liable. You can be jailed. But you can uh, avoid tax by using the tax rules very well. So we must be careful that the advertisement and the statement that we are making are lawful or they comply with law. Otherwise, we may be found ourselves wanting. And then the last one is about fundamental ethics. Fundamental ethics. This has to do with the issues in relation to professionalism. So we need to, at the end of the day, apply professionalism, fundamental ethics in relation to the advertisement we are making. Now, these are the five guiding principles that we must take into consideration if we are going to advertise our company. So remember, you must have a backup or a proof for every statement we make. For every statement we make in relation to that, we must make sure that we are not criticizing anybody by putting our professional, for example, in capital letters like that. D, we must make sure that the statement, we don't have vague statements there, everything is clear. Then E has to do with the fact that it is, uh, we must ensure that our advertisement is compliant with the law, that there is no illegal statement in the advertisements. And the F, we must make sure that fundamental ethical principles are being followed by ourselves in the advert that we are undertaking. So that is the first thing we must understand when we talk about advertisements. Now, after our advertisement, a client-tendry board or committee, as we mentioned in the introduction, will be drafting a tendry document or will ask us, will invite us to uh, bring them a, a tendry document to give us detail about uh, what we want to do, the services we render, the rates we charge. So in making that document, there are also 
five principles here or five aspects of the documents that we need to cover very well to make sure that we win the contract. Because remember, when a firm advertises that they want an audit firm, they want an auditor, there are a lot of people that are going to bid for the contract. Now, there are five aspects of that document that must, we must make sure we document well or we write well so that we can stand out in the crowd and win the contract. The first one is resources. In our temporary document, we must show or state the resources we have which will enable us to carry out the audit work. So we must be able to state, for example, that we have the offices, we have, we have the reputation, we have the expertise, we have audited the uh, financial statement of company A, company B. We must prove in our resources about we must prove in, our, in the tendry documents that we have the expertise or the resources to do that. The two is the client's need. That is, our tendering documents must be direct to the client's special need or requirement. For example, when the, when the client is preparing to be listed on a major stock exchange, such as the Ghana Stock Exchange, then our audits must, uh, must consider other issues like corporate governance, apart from financial statement examination right so it is like you are writing a proposal the tendering documents you are sending to the uh, committee or the tendering committee of the firm it's like you're writing a proposal so the proposal must be tailored to the need of the firm otherwise they are not going to accept the proposal so what we say here is that if they are requesting like for instance the illustration here to be listed on the stock exchange then we must be sure that we are not only looking at examination of the financial statement, but we must also state that we'll be able to draft the issues about corporate governance also. Another thing here also is that, for instance, if they, they, they are an educational institute and we have the expertise to audit, and it's an educational institute and they are looking for acquiring another company or that educational institute, a company wants to acquire it, and so that company has employed us to come and audit them, then we have to look at the way we structure our audit to prove to the client firm that we can do the work very well. The next thing is we must show the way. We must show the way. So one, we must list the resources we have, the expertise we have, the past, uh, the offices that we have in relation to that. The second thing is that we must tailor our tendering document to the requirement or the need of the client, of the potential client. Third is we must show the way. What does this mean? This means that this means how we will be carrying out our audits, such as audit sampling, identification of risks, among others. So we must explain briefly how we're going to be carrying out the audits. The various audit sampling that we'll be undertaking, don't worry, we'll be looking at those things later on. Then we must also talk about the extra benefits that the audit firm will get apart from we auditing their financial statements. So maybe we can tell them, okay, apart from we auditing the financial statement, we are going to identify the risks or the inefficiencies in your uh, internal controls and we are going to make accurate recommendations for you and we will help you that your organization is running efficiently and effectively so we are not just coming to audit financial statements taking that uh, everything is okay or everything is not good and go away there are other benefits that we are going to offer so you must also include that in your tendering document then the last one certainly is about the fee 
very, very important. Uh, we must explain and show the fees calculation and explain the breakdown of the fees. This is very important to the audit firm since it will have to make profits on the engagement assignments at the same time carrying out a quality audit work. So depending on the requirement, if for instance, as I mentioned in the introduction, if the company wants to be listed on the stock exchange market and the period it's maybe one month, they have one month to be listed and so that one month they want you to audit the financial statement. That means you're going to need more team, more members on the audit team. As such, the audit fee is going to be high and we must break down all those things to make sure that we are making a profit as well on the engagement that we are undertaking because remember as auditors we need to make profit on the business. So these are the things we do or we include in our tendering document. So apart from aside or after doing this what is going to happen is that we tender that document and so the client firm is going to consider it. Then when they consider it, whilst they are considering it they will decide that probably they want to give us the contract. So let's look at professional appointment. When you talk about professional appointment, first we need to consider the factors. Now, what are the factors that we, know we must consider uh, in relation to deciding to undertake the audit of a firm that we are looking for? I mentioned a couple of them, but we are going to look at them in more detail here. We'll look at them in more details here. The first one is called the build-up knowledge. The build-up knowledge. So that's the first one. The build-up knowledge. Now, I mentioned that in my introduction that you must make sure as an auditor that you have a fair knowledge about the clients. That is the industry that a client is in, the nature of the business that they are undertaking, the uh, market's share of the company, the risks that they are likely to be exposed to as a company. Then you must, so you must have an understanding of the clients. That is what we mean by the build-up knowledge. It's a factor you must take into consideration and make sure that you have adequate knowledge about or in-depth knowledge about the client's company. Now, how would you get some of these information we are talking about? Now, you can get them through uh, the discussions that you're going to have with management or you are going to inquire from management. You can also get it from industrial analysts or published uh, reports or press releases about the company. Then you can understand what a company is about. Remember, this is the key factor you consider because you must understand the industry. For instance, if it's an airline company, you must understand their, their, the risks that they are exposed to. If it's a bank or financial institution or it's an investment company, you must understand the risks that companies like that is inherently exposed to. Because later on we'll be talking about the audit risks where we'll be talking about inherent risks, control risks and detection risks. So you must look at the risks that uh, the business is exposed to by nature of the industry and the operations of the organization. The next thing is to consider our expertise. Okay, so we know about the business, we know the industry they are in, we know the risks that they are operations or the, the, the kind, those kind of businesses are exposed to. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, do we have the expertise to undertake the, knowledge, the audit firm or to undertake the audit? So as the audit firm, we need to look at the expertise that we will need for the audit. For example, 
the legal special evaluation that we will need, the information system audit, uh, information system expert that we're going to need. If you are going to edit or uh, audit a high-tech company, then it will be very important to have somebody who has deep knowledge in IT on the audit team. When we are going to edit uh, audit, sorry, a financial or the financial statement of a company, who are who, who are going to, or in which we are going to be engaging a lot of, uh, we are going to be doing a lot of valuation of the assets, then we will have to have an expert or a special valuer also on the audit team. So we must look at the experts that we need in order to undertake this audit. Because the audit team for a telecom company is different from the audit team that we will take to a banking institute. The audit team that we will take to an educational institute will be different from the audit team that we may take to a social media company. So it depends on the understanding that we have. So level one, the build-up knowledge we have about the business, then we will decide the experts we need on the audit team. Third thing is about C, control systems of the client. Now, based on the build-up knowledge, some way, somehow, we will be able to determine the strength of the control systems of the organization. Now, when we talk about systems here, we are talking about the internal controls system of the organization. So the strength and reliability of the control system of a client will also have to be considered. If the control system are strong and reliable, then it presupposes that less work may be done. However, if the control system is weak, and unreliable, it means the auditor must carry out a lot of audit procedures to reach a reasonable conclusion and that will also affect the fees to be charged. So if they don't have good internal control system or the internal control systems are very weak, then you are going to charge more uh, fees in relation to the audit. So for instance, if you are auditing the audit uh, or you are auditing the financial statement of a company and you realize that they are, all, they are, you know that they don't have professional accountants as a company and probably that is the first audit they are undertaking. Man, you know that that company, you have to do a lot of suggestions to them. You have to audit everything from the start of the business to the date that you are in. In that case, it means more work will be involved. So since more work will be involved, we need to charge them a premium for the service that we are rendering. The next thing is about opening balances of the financial statement. So if it is a first audit or that is the first time the client's company is undertaking an audit, then we would have to look at the balance brought forward or the opening balances in the financial statement. For instance, if that is the first time they are taking or they are undertaking an audit but they are being, they are being in operation for the past three years or the past five years, then the balance brought forward to this current year may be subject to uh, adjustment because of some material misstatements and errors. So we must also take that into consideration if it is an initial or first time audit of the company. The next thing is about the management style. The management style. Now the style of management or management philosophy to the preparation and presentation of financial statement as well as how things are done in the organization must also be taken into consideration and that has a great effect on the kind of internal control system that will be in place. So for instance, if management 
uh, you realize that the management philosophy or the management style is more or less like an autocratic style of leadership, then you are likely that to see that management is going to dominate on the preparation of financial statement. As such, there is likely that there are going to be some material misstatements which may result or which may be as a result of um, fraud and errors in the financial statement. So we must consider the style of management and even the philosophy because their qualification, their mindset, the way they think, their level of education, their competence, all these things can affect how the effectiveness or efficiency, efficiency of the internal control system. The next thing is existing client relationship. Existing client relationship. Now this is from the auditor's perspective. So that is if we are auditing a supermarket client and then we receive appointment from a firm like West Hills Mall, then we have to ask permission from the existing clients if they agree that we make the audit. If the existing clients disagree, we then have to decide which of these firms in the same industry to audit. Why do we do this? To avoid any conflict of interest because there may be issues, there may be issues that are important to each of these firms. So that is what we call the existing client relationship. So you are auditing a shopping mall, a supermarket, and then another supermarket invites you to come and audit their financial statement like uh, West Hills Mall. So you need to ask the existing clients if they want you to accept that new audit. Now, because you see that they are all in the same industry, so there is likelihood that there may be some transfer of information. Now, it depends on the size of the audit firm though, but because if the audit firm is not big enough, then probably they may not have different audit team. They may have the same audit team auditing the firm, but if the firm is big enough, that thing may not be really considered, but it's a factor that we need to consider before accepting an audit. The next one is what we call pressure on fees. Pressure on fees. We mentioned this also in our introductory discussion. So as auditors, we have to consider any pressure by the clients in relation to the fees. For example, if the client say, unless we issue an unqualified audit report, we are not going to be paid, this may pose a lot of threats on us. So if there is a pressure on the fee that you are going to charge or how you are going to receive your money, then you have to be careful. So you came and manager and said, listen, we don't want any trouble here. All we want is that at the end of the day, you will be able to issue an unqualified audit opinion or audit report that everything is well. Do you understand? If not, we won't pay you. Or there is a policy or you don't know there is a policy in the organization and you find out a fraud, then they are not willing to get it up. Or maybe prior before you accept the audit in the discussion with management, you find out about something and you want to talk about it and they said, hey, don't mention that because we're going to increase your audit fee. So any pressure that may be on how much on the average we need to charge from jobs like that may pose a lot of threats on us because it will affect our independence as auditors and we may not use uh, professional due care to audit the financial statement and that will certainly affect the opinion that we are going to give which means that if someone relies on the opinion or something happens to the company in the future we are going to be affected our reputation is going to be on the line in relation to that event the next thing is the reputation of the client 
Now, the reputation of the clients we are auditing is very, very important to us. We have to look at uh, the firm, whether they are having a bad reputation or a good reputation. Because if they have a bad reputation, then we auditing them, it will also glean on us automatically. For instance, if the firm has recently been, uh, uh, there has been allegation about fraud and error in the firm or with the firm and other government institutions, then we have to be careful in auditing such a firm or accepting an audit from such a firm. It means that that firm is kind of susceptible to events like that. So we need to be careful to consider that a good firm or a good uh, proposal is the proposal from a firm that has what? A good reputation in the industry. Then we need to also consider any issue about advocacy threats. Now, advocacy threat has to do with when we as the auditors are undertaking other uh, events or other services for the client's firm. So like promoting the client's business in that case, which would mean that we have to be careful because our independence may be uh, in, in, in jeopardy. Because if we are helping the audit firm, for instance, to be listed on the Ghana stock exchange market, and we are the same people going to audit their firms, we need to be careful and to make sure that our independence in relation to that advocacy, that other service we are rendering to them, will not affect what opinion we are going to express on the financial statement. Then the next thing is competence and confidentiality. The audit firm must make sure that it has all the competent expertise to render and carry out the work and also be mindful of confidentiality. One of the ethics uh, requirements is about confidentiality. As an auditor, you can't just talk anyhow. Like you've audited a firm and you see the management, the shareholders, or you know you get the information about the company. Then you are sitting with your friends at a bar somewhere or sitting somewhere chatting and talking. Then all of a sudden you start to talk about them. Hey, do you know this firm? Do you know that this man, that is why he's buying that car. That is why he's building that house. Do you know his salary? No. You are an auditor. There is a level of what? Confidentiality. So you must... Keep that information you have taken from the, or you have, of the client's firm. It is only when there is a legal issue, that is when you would have to breach that confidentiality issue. For instance, if there is a law suit against the firm you just audited about uh, management salary, about fraud in the management salaries, then you, the auditor, you will be called before the courts to be a witness. In that case, you would have to say everything you know about the firm. But unless otherwise there is a, an issue like that, or probably there is an investigation about the firm, and so the uh, authorities invite you, the audit firm, to tell them what you know about the firm. In that case also, you have to say everything. But unless otherwise these cases, you can't open your mouth and say anything about the business. So you have to be careful about the issue of confidentiality. Then the next thing is about time and deadline. So we must make sure when, or we must consider uh, when we are going to be asked to finish the audit and uh, the deadline that we have been given for the audit. So for instance, if it is the client firm tells us that, okay, they want to be listed on the stock exchange market, so they need the audit or the audit report 
in 30 days, then we have to make sure that we undertake a quality audit report. Remember, that is a key thing we must take into consideration. The next thing is integrity. We must make sure that the management is going to be honest and straightforward with us. So this is about talking about the integrity and honesty or probability of the uh, management. So we must make sure or we must perceive and make sure we see, based on our first discussion with management or those charming governors, that these people, to some extent, can tell us what we need as auditors. But remember, whatever they tell us, we don't just take it like that. We must also do our background check because we are making our audit according to or using professional skepticism. And we must ask questions, make analysis, and draw judgments from them. The next thing is our staff and resources. The audit firm must ensure that the required staff and resources are available to render the audits to the clients. So this is about the staff and the resources in relation to that. So for instance, if the company is a high-tech company and they don't do any paperwork and everything is an information system, then we need to use uh, audit softwares in order to audit the financial statement and we'll look at some of these things later on in our discussion. Then the last thing to talk about is whether the audit is easy or it's going to be a difficult one. Now the complexity of the client's business and the system will also have to be considered. This has to do with the risks associated with the business. So as I'm saying, for instance, if you perceive that the business industry, you have knowledge about it and the business have, uh, the business in this in question has a good um, internal control system in place and they are strong, then that means that you not do much work. But if the internal control system are weak and that is the first audit they are undertaking, then you have to be on the lookout because there is going to be much work to be done in that case. So these are the factors that we consider before we accept the audit. Now apart from these factors that we consider, apart from these factors we consider, we must consider a very key aspect of our audit engagement that is called professional clearance. This is where we must ensure, as I mentioned in our introduction, that the outgoing auditor, that is, if, it is, if that is not the first time a client's company is engaging an auditor, we must make sure that the outgoing auditor is properly paid and that all the fees due them are paid and that they don't have anything against the firm. And we must seek uh, permission from the client firm to talk to the outgoing auditor. Now, why do we have to speak to the outgoing auditor? Because the outgoing auditor knows what we are going or what is going on in the company. The outgoing auditor knows what we don't know. So we must seek uh, the client's permission to contact the outgoing auditor. So if the client refuses to give us permission and say no, we cannot uh, contact or speak with the outgoing auditor, then we must decline the appointment because that means there is something there they don't want to tell us. But if the client gives us a go-ahead and say that, okay, we can speak to the outgoing auditor, then among other things, we can ask the outgoing auditor, are there any matters that we should consider before becoming, before we, are, are there any matters we should consider in relation to becoming the auditors of the firm. 
So we're going to ask them, do you think there is any factor we need to consider? Then maybe they will tell us, management will not allow you to do this. When you find out about fraud, they say don't talk about it. When you do this, they say don't do that. When you ask management about this, they are not ready to talk. They are not ready to tell you anything. So we would have to find out from the outgoing auditor because as I mentioned, he knows a lot that we don't know. Now, so if the outgoing auditor says that yes, and he tells us what we have to consider, then we as the incoming auditors will have to ask the client to explain away the issue raised by the outgoing auditor. So for instance, if the outgoing auditor tells us something that we have to consider and they discourage us from accepting the audits, then prior before we decline the audits, we must speak to the management or those charged with governance and ask them about, hey, what is happening in the company? Uh, the outgoing auditor said A, B, and C. Is it true? Is that what you've been doing? Is that what you want to do to us? So you must find out these things about them. So if the client cannot explain what the outgoing auditor has said, then what do we do? We decline the appointment. But if the client explains the issue and that is raised by the outgoing auditor to the best of our understanding and judgment, then we must accept the audit appointment. But if the outgoing auditor says, hey, there is nothing to be afraid of, Charlie, it's a co-business, our time has exceeded and we don't, or our capacity now, we can't audit a small firm like that, so you can accept and audit them, then hey, we don't have any problem, we just go ahead and accept the audit. Now the next thing we want to consider is about the fundamental issues in relation to audits, ethics. Remember, I spoke about the IFAL codes in our introduction and we're talking about ethics, ethics. So let's look at the fundamental ethical codes by IFAG, which has been adopted by the ACCA UK and also ICA Ghana since they are all members of IFAG. So the first thing is about independence. And I've mentioned already that the, indefe uh, the independence of the auditor or the auditor must be independent both in appearance and also in fact. Remember what I said in the issue about that. Appearance, I mentioned about close relationship. In fact means you don't have a direct material interest in the company as a shareholder of the company, as a bondholder of the company. So these are the two things that we have to consider when we are talking about independence. Now, common threats to independence will include undue dependence on any single client or group of clients. So this is one of the threats to independence. For instance, if you as an audit firm, there is only a single client that you are auditing, then you are likely to be subject to a couple of things. Why are we saying it? Or a group of clients. Why are we saying this? Because what it means is that if they don't give you the job, you are not going to get job to do. If they don't give you the service, you're not going to get any service to do. If they don't pay you, you can't survive as an audit firm. So if there is any undue dependence on such a firm, then it may raise the issue about independence. Two, overdue fees. Very, very important. That will also impair our judgment in, in, in relation to independence. Family and other personal relationships, I've mentioned that. Beneficial interest in shares and or investments, acceptance of goods and services or hospitality. There are levels of that we're going to be discussing in a moment, but 
we have to be careful in relation to what is happening. So for instance, you are auditing a firm, and the firm has, uh, they are, the, the head office of the firm is in, let's say, Kumasi, and you are from Accra going there. And when you got there, they took you to, for instance, a five-star hotel. When in the past, all their auditors, they took them to probably a three-star or a two-star hotel. That place, and then they start to, oh, they say, enjoy, tell it, relax. Oh, is everything okay? Is everything cool? Anytime you come there, they are sort of, oh, take this and use it for TNT. You have to be careful because these things can impair on your judgment and can affect your independence because you will kind of now have a direct interest, a material interest in the company, and that will affect how you are going to undertake your audit work. The federal threats include what we call the self-interest threats. This is where you have some financial interest in the company as a shareholder. Self-review threats. This is where the auditing firm are the ones who prepared the financial statement. So if we are the people who prepare the financial statement and we now we are auditing the financial statement, ah, but what do you think will happen? If I'm work auditing or going over something I've already done, I know I did it perfectly, so I'm not going to do it well. But when we, in, we are involved in the preparation of financial statement, it means we now have a close relationship with the board of directors, with management. So that will affect our independence. Then advocacy threats. Remember what I spoke about this earlier? So for instance, if we are promoting or we are helping them to list their shares on the stock exchange market and we are the same people auditing them then we are likely to have some effect in relation to material and um, independence in fact because we may have some direct material control or because sometimes a company can say if you help us to be listed on the stock exchange market we'll give you five percent or ten percent ownership of the company or we'll give you ten percent shares of the company which you will buy at a half price so it means that your independence and your judgment may be under threat. Then the next one is what we call the intimidation threat. This is a threat of replacement of replacement due to disagreement. So this is a threat that, for instance, if you don't do what management is saying, then the next year they will replace you with a new audit. So if there is anything like that, then it's going to affect your independence because who wants to lose? his or her job. Nobody wants to lose their job. So if management say, do this, if you don't do that, I'm not going to give you the job, and they are the only people you are going to get job from, <laughs> then what do you do? It means that it is going to affect your judgment as an auditor. Another threat to independence is the provision of other services to the clients, like example, specialist evaluation or what we call second opinion, tax assessment. If we undertake all these things to the audit to the client firm, it may as well affect our independence. But how can the auditor mitigate against the threat of or the threat to independence? Now there are safeguards that are put in place by regulatory regulatory bodies, the audit firm, and what the individual must follow. And do in order to follow or to reduce or eliminate the threats to independence of the auditor. So the first thing is, uh, so that is about it. What we are talking about here is that there are procedures that have been put in place so that we must 
we ensure that uh, independence is adhered to and is mitigated. So for instance, the requirement that has been given uh, uh, by or the guidelines given by regulatory bodies. So if you have a close relationship, don't be on the audit team. If you have a financial or material interest, don't be on the audit team. And then the audit firm itself must have that in place. And then the individual as an auditor. So if the audit firm knows that they have uh, a material interest in that organization, then they can accept an audit from that firm. Because if they accept an audit from that firm, then the whole audit firm is independent. The whole audit firm's independence will be in question. So that is the first thing we know about when we talk about the ethical code. So that is about independence. The next thing is about integrity. The auditor must be honest and straightforward in everything that they are doing. So you don't see red and you say blue. You don't see white and you say cream. You have to be careful and be straightforward in everything that you do and everything that you say. That is the second quality and characteristics that as an auditor you must possess. Objectivity. This principle states that members should not allow bias, conflict of interest or undue influence of others to override professional or business judgment. So this is what objectivity is about. You must make sure that uh, you are not making bias or you are not being biased there is, nothing, there is nothing like conflict of interest because, for instance, if the firm tells you that we want to be listed on the stock exchange market, issue uh, an unqualified order report for us and when you issue that we're going to give you 10% shares in the company, then that means that there is going to be some level of conflict of interest because our independence will be in question here. So we must make sure that there is no conflict of interest and that we are going to be doing the work according to the standards that is there. The next thing is professional competence and due care. We've mentioned this already. What it means is that the auditor or members of the ICA or ACCA must maintain or continually maintain professional knowledge and skill at a high level in the respective industry of the clients so that they will be competent enough to undertake what the audit. And they must make sure that they act diligently in accordance with current development in practice, legislation, techniques, and professional standards. So the international accounting standards are subject to modification. There are new practices rules that are always coming out. There are new rules, laws, and national standards that are being released. So we must make sure as auditors that we stay above the game and we make sure that we don't just say, hey, I'm an auditor, so you are working, you are an auditor. No. You must look at the current development that is happening so that you make sure you are always on top of your game in rendering your service. Then the fifth one is professional behavior. Professional behavior. Members should comply with relevant laws and regulations and should avoid any action that discredits the profession. So you must make sure that uh, as an auditor, you are not just there as your person, as Kofi Mansa or Ya. You are not there as a person. You are there representing yourself, representing your audit firm, and also representing the whole profession. So you must make sure that you act in a way that does not bring discredit to the audit profession. And the last thing is about confidentiality. And I've, so, I've mentioned that, that a professional accountant should respect the confidentiality of information acquired during the course of performing professional services. 
and should not disclose any of such information without proper and specific authority or authorization from the client or unless there is a legal or professional right or duty to disclose that. So I've mentioned about uh, confidentiality. So independence, integrity, objectivity, professional competence and due care, professional behavior and then confidentiality. As an auditor, you must make sure that you guide your launch with these principles and they guide you in the decisions you make in your behavior in the corporate world so that you don't disgrace your own self, you don't disgrace your audit firm, and you don't disgrace the audit profession or the accountancy profession. Right.